All right, the time has almost come. My book, Bigger, Better, Bolder, is hitting the shelves, launching, debuting on December the 27th. And I am so excited, I'm thrilled that I get to share this book with you guys. I, it took me two years to write it, and it really is a culmination of all the different tactics and traits that I used to build my life that I've used on tons of clients from the last 20 years, from athletes to entrepreneurs, and it's it's all about building your bold, you know, making boldness a skill that you can learn to really get what you want, chase what you want, and not just take what you can get. My entire philosophy is about living the life you want and not the life you get. And really, it's really about taking actionable steps that anybody can do and anybody can learn. Unfortunately, a lot of us get stuck in the self-doubt syndrome, right? And the fear of failure, which then holds us back from going after things or asking for things that really is much more aligned with who we are and the life we want to live. So that's why I'm so thrilled that I have this book now to share with people about helping people, teaching people how they can make these bold moves and become bolder and asking for what they want and finding the courage within them to live the life they want. Like I said, I'm so excited. It's on pre-order right now. You can pre-order it anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, and really start living true to who you are. And I can't wait to see your response once you get it. Thanks. Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits & Hustle. Crush it. Today on the podcast, we have Jaya. Jaya is an award-winning somatic sexologist with over two decades of clinical research and clinical observation under her belt. She is also the creator of the Erotic Blueprints and was featured in the Netflix hit series, Sex, Love, and Goop with Gwyneth Paltrow. She has this theory and her system is based around these five erotic blueprint types and we all fall into one of these blueprints sexually. When I tell you this podcast was fascinating, uh, it was fascinating. I think you guys are really gonna enjoy this podcast and all the information she has to share. Enjoy. I'm at the Biohacking Conference and I am now interviewing Jaya. You, what's your last name? I just go by Jaya. It's like, like Madonna. Madonna. Like Madonna. A prince. <laughs> exactly. Her name is Jaya. Uh, and she is a somatic sexologist. I don't know what that is, but we're going to find out. She did the goop, the Gwyneth Paltrow goops. What's that, what's that show? Sex, love, and goop. Sex, love, and goop. And I was, I was really riveted by the episodes that you were in, which is why I really wanted to have this interview with you. Uh, I don't... It, it was stuff I've never really seen before. I was like blown away by just by all of it. So I'm really happy to, that you're here on this podcast. So thank you for being here. I love your excitement. It's like making me orgasmic already. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad I am because I, it's, well, how can you not be excited? I mean, I have never seen somebody, I mean, you're so comfortable with sexuality. I mean, not that that's, that's not as unusual, but like, your approach to it and making other people like getting them comfortable. I've mm -hmm. never really seen uh, that in that way before, which yeah. are you the only person who does this? 
There are a few of us who are somatic sexologists, but it is a quite rare profession. It is, and right? And the comfort level thing, it was like years ago when I first started my career, a few decades ago, it was like, how can I make sex as easy as talking about a cup of coffee? Yeah. Just so that we're just sitting around, we're like having a cup of tea, talking about sex. Talking about sex. Okay, so what is, okay, first define what that is. Is that actually, did you make that up or did someone else make up that? Somatic sexology? Yes. So somatic sexology comes from Joseph Kramer, who was my mentor. And there was, it's the Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. And they had a somatic sexology portion of their training. And so somatic sexology means that it's more hands-on. Okay. Not just where, like, like sex therapy, where we might just sit and talk about sex we're actually going to get more into like what's happening in the body and and seeing like what's going on in the pelvic floor because sex is something that happens in the body it's something that happens in our minds too yeah but it's on multiple layers and so we look at the whole layer as a somatic sexologist we're looking at everything so yeah because doesn't it really start in the head like in your brain because of like emotional stuff mm-hmm. and like isn't that well because it's for I'm, I'm talking for myself anyway as a girl i women in general, mm-hmm. I feel like sex first starts with the brain and then the physical can follow. Is yeah, that- I feel like our B spot, the brain, you know, is one of our most powerful sexual organs that we have. And what I've seen so far in working with so many people over the years is that we're all wired a little bit differently. So when you talk about like gender, how does gender affect yeah. that? How do, how does, how we were brought up affect that? How do our early sexual experiences affect that? I'm really looking at that whole picture. It's almost like like I'm, I'm always being a detective yeah. in terms of our eroticism. And we have so little research around sexuality because it's so shameful still to even research that yeah. we don't always have the answers. So a lot of it's just come from my years of clinical, you know, being with people and working with people that felt experience. Like, how is it? Because I'm, I'm, I'm very good friends with Emily Morse, who's like mm-hmm. the sex with Emily. Mm-hmm. And she always talks about sex very openly and freely and says also like she talks about like masturbation, like you talk about like getting a cup of coffee, right? right. And I'm always like shy and uncomfortable and always like squeamish when she talks about <laughs> it, you know, um, but it's a different, she does something very different than you. Like you were saying it, your stuff is much more touch and feel. Mm-hmm. And um, so I guess my, my, my question, is it becoming more, do you feel, do you think in your, is, is it becoming more mainstream now than it used to be? Yeah. I think that sexual wellness, especially for people who identify as women is we're just going to see it skyrocket in the next few years. I've seen some predictions that say that that industry is going to be in over $3 billion because sexual wellness, women are becoming more empowered. We're having this conversation yeah. and it's people like you, you know, who are having shows and we're, we're having these candid conversations right. where we can start to really peel back the shame and, and empower and own ourselves sexually. But I'm still, to be honest, and my whole, like, I still feel not shameful, but it's embarrassing to talk about it. Like yeah. for me, still, like, <laughs> I feel like how much of it is like how you were brought up and like your and your experiences in the past like is it hard to break through if you've had a certain like background where it was much more shame not Mm -hmm. not because mine was much more shameful but it was not something we talked about like it wasn't something Mm -hmm. that was like out in the open and it's hard to kind of evolve away from that even if it is much more open and more mainstream now. I think we live in a culture that is a sex night. I think it's just the culture in general. We live in that kind of don't talk about sex, be shameful about your desires. I ask audiences all over the world, everywhere I've gone, did you learn about sex? Did you have a good sex education? And very few people will raise their hand in the audience. 
And it's because we are getting a sex education. We're just not getting a good one. Right, not getting and, a good one at And all. so the yeah. sex education we get are the messages constantly that we receive from our parents, constantly from peers, constantly from, even when we not, we're not talking about it, that's an education. That's something that's teaching you that it's not okay to talk about. And right. so it's, it's a journey to unraveling all of the conditioning and programming and really getting underneath, well, who are you? Right. Who are you really without all that conditioning and all the shaming and all the programming based upon what our culture and our parents and religion and so many things have taught us? What's like the number one issue that you see the most that people come to? Do you have like a lot of personal clients? Like yes. You do? Yes. Okay. So what is the number one problem that you see? The number one problem that people come to me for is usually a mismatch. Yes. They feel like in their partnership that they, like one person wants more sex, the other person doesn't. One person likes a certain thing in bed, the other person doesn't want to do that thing. Right. And so it, oftentimes it's, it's not that we're sexually incompatible. I think that that's a mythology. It's that we have not learned who we are. And so then we don't have a language to communicate. Here's who I am erotically, truly who I am erotically. And here's who you are. Now let's learn each other's languages. It's just like learning a language. It's getting skill sets more so than any kind of um, discrepancy that we have. Now there are true discrepancies. Yeah. You know, sometimes there is somebody who wants more sex than the other, but I'd even go that, take that down to personality typing. It's still the typing of a person who wants a lot of sex is usually falls within one of the erotic blueprints. Okay. I want to talk about the blueprint. That's what I want to talk about. What is the erotic? Okay. Before I even, before you even tell me that, what about pheromones? What part of pheromones does that, does that play mm -hmm. in everything? Like people say, well, we have chemistry or, right. you know, I don't have chemistry with that person. I have chemistry with this person. Right. Do you believe in that? Do you yes, believe in absolutely. chemistry and pheromones? Absolutely. So chemistry can come down to many different things. Okay. So there's cranial nerve zero in our nose. I'm going to get geeky. Yeah, no, no, I love it. getting geeky about get sex. Get geeky, get geeky. I like <laughs> so, it. Um, cranial nerve zero, which is picking up the pheromonal signature of another person. When that, when you're doing that, the brain is reading the, the, the immune system of that person. So it's saying, do we make good babies with one another? So there's a whole chemistry to that attraction. Okay. Of, but when you take birth control, it messes that up. There was actually a study where they had really? women smell t-shirts and the, peop the people that they would have naturally made the best match with, they couldn't smell it anymore because really? they were on birth control. So it's just really interesting. Like that fascinates me around, me too. around just what attracts us to someone. Then we've got all the emotional attractors based upon memory, based upon how we adapted, who makes our nervous system safe. So there's, there's just this huge thing that we need to look at in terms of our emotional connection, our biochemical connection, how our bodies feel together, the physical connection. And then, and then lastly, the bioenergetic connection, like what's happening on an energetic level. This is when we meet somebody where you're like, they're, you're my soulmate or like we know each other before like right. that's that sort of like unseen mysterious part of attraction what does attract us to people though besides the, t the, the what you were saying about mm -hmm. the make babies the together the chemistry mm -hmm. what what does in your in your education and knowledge mm -hmm. are the biggest attractors to people back and forth so there's a number of things depending upon gender too okay, so like yeah, shiny hair is one of them for like men because it's it signals that somebody's healthy mm. So we're, they're looking for markers. Again, a lot of it comes down to fertility. It's like, is, can that person produce healthy babies? Right. Can we make 
offspring together that's going to be healthy. So they're looking for things. The shiny hair is a symbol of estrogen, like somebody has right. more of that. So that, that's one thing, like confidence. We look for that. Um, can somebody protect us? Can somebody provide for us? That's a, that's women to got to men yeah, though, yes, right? Yeah. What's men to women? So the the hair, the hair for sure. The health, um, confidence is also one. Sense of humor. Um, those are some of the things. Sounds similar to what women look for in men. men. Yeah, we look for similar things. We're looking for somebody who is healthy, who we feel good around, and who we we connect with on multiple levels, intellectually, right. at the heart, and also at the sex. So what happens, I'm sure you see people also who, because um, this is like a, that maybe they had a relationship that had a lot of sex in at the beginning, mm -hmm. and then of course, then children or whatever mm -hmm. happens, and they lose that sexual appeal for that yep. person, and they become, they're in that friend's Friend, feeling. Roommates. Roommates. Yeah. How do you do you really believe that you can actually ignite that again? Yes, absolutely. You do? So a couple of reasons why that happens, the roommate thing. Yeah. Biochemically, for about 18 months, we're in a limerent stage. And so we're creating different chemicals together right. during that time. That starts to wane. Then you have children, that starts to wane. If you were on birth control, right. you go off birth control to have children, all of a sudden their pheromonal signature is different because you're actually smelling oh my the gosh, pheromones right. like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So like all of these different factors that weigh in, plus then there's just life. There's, you know, once you start raising kids or you start doing all of the business and life and all of that, that can also totally start yeah that's to just especially if you're in business together you know that's a whole other thing. other thing yeah and so there are three we call it the passion trifecta okay. and so these are the three th things that we say start to create heat in each other okay. again one is to have obstacles once we're in a relationship the obstacles go away like we've won the person yeah there's no more of that like that's oh, just the challenge to, yeah the challenge, the challenge is gone, gone. yeah so how can you consciously create obstacles like an easy thing during sex is like we're gonna have sex tonight but we're gonna keep you're gonna keep your panties on that's like a little obstacle yeah. you know like that's <laughs> such a good i never that's a good one i like that okay and yes, then you yes. get more creative in yeah. bed because <laughs> so there's more creativity that's naturally created or like one is you don't get to see me before dates, like before we go out. That's creating like a little obstacle. Like we're going to meet out somewhere. We're not going to yeah, like see yeah. each other at home first. You're kind of creating like some mystery. Yeah, yeah, that's the next one. That's number two, mystery. Oh, okay. I like so that. Okay. obstacle and mystery. So mystery is another thing that we lose. We start to know each other so much. Yeah. We think that all this connection and closeness is going to create hotter sex, but actually it can be the opposite. Right. I think it does to a certain point, and then it gets into like routine and day-to-day -day boredom. Boring. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. God, no. I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. <laughs> and then the last one is novelty or naughtiness. So in yeah. the beginning, we have novelty naturally because everything's kind of new. Yeah. But we start to go to the same restaurant. We start to go to the, like, we start to have these it's same totally. habits, right? We, we've, we don't have novelty anymore. Uh, right. And we don't have naughtiness. Yeah. I like to tell the, like, Romeo and Juliet is like a perfect example. We yeah, know the story. Of, totally. It didn't end well for them, but, you know, they had irresistible attraction yeah. because they had obstacle. They weren't supposed to see each other. Different families, you know, no, big yep. no. They had mystery. They met at a ball, you know, with like the masks and the, the, that like all this mystery yep. shrouded and everything. Totally. And then they had naughtiness. They broke the rules. 
and they saw each other anyway and they had novelty because it was all new. Yeah. So like that creates such irresistible attraction that I mean in their case they were willing to die for it. Right, right. exactly. Right. Because like it's like it is it more Okay, first of all, you didn't I, I was going to say I didn't want to I don't want to jump somewhere else cuz you were going to tell me about the blueprint. So tell me what that is mm-hmm. cuz I'm sure a lot of my questions will be answered within that stuff. Okay. okay. So there's five erotic blueprints. Okay. The first one is an energetic and it's someone who's turned on by space, tease, anticipation, longing, yearning. So they they like the moment before. So I don't know if you've ever been in like a situation where it's like, I'm going to kiss, we're going to kiss, we're going to, and all the excitement is yeah. in that. <gasps> and then you kiss and it's kind of like, oh, like it's not quite yes. as good, right? So that's like very energetic. And then the anticipation. The anticipation all, yeah. is the turn on more than the actual physical thing is the turn on. So wait, before you tell me the, okay, so are you saying that these, um, these five uh, erotic blueprints, someone, everyone has one that they kind of fall into with their, with their, what their blueprint is. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. Everyone has an erotic blueprint. It could be like some people might be 95% of one. Yeah. yeah. It's a little bit of a rest. Some people have more like they're 20% of each one. Right. So everybody has a different blueprint map. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's the first one. Yeah. So energetic and then sensual. And this is somebody who's turned on by all of their senses being ignited. So this is someone who loves like the taste and the smell and the beautiful environment that they're in. And you know, all of, all of that beauty, they need in their erotic experience. Okay. Okay. So they bring the artistry and they can have non-genital orgasms. Energetics can have orgasms without even being touched. So they all have superpowers as well. Wow. Okay. Go on. Yes. This is so interesting. <laughs> is this book out already? <laughs> it's good. coming. Okay. It's coming. Okay. Good. Okay. Are they to know. Good. <laughs> and then the next one's sexual. And the sexual is someone who's turned on by what we think of as sex in our culture. Okay. It's penis and vagina. It's, you know, good to the orgasm. It is nudity. It is all of what we think of as sex. Yes. Okay. Got it. Okay. And then the kinky is someone who's turned on by the taboo. And there's two different kinds of kinkies. One is like a sensation based kinky. So they're going to like that slap. They're going to like more of like the feeling of the rope on their body. And then there's a psychologically based kinky, which is more about the power dynamics and the play within that. Okay. My partner, he's both. He kind of has the mix of both the- Your partner? Yeah, yeah, he has. Yep, he's back oh, there. <laughs> oh, so. what's your name? Ian. You guys have the best sex life with this one, huh? Yeah, we're pretty extraordinary. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. <laughs> wow. Okay, sorry, Jaya. Okay, that's. <laughs> I think I saw you guys, by the way, like the other day walking around and you guys looked very happy together yeah, so someone says i've been enjoying all of your canoodling while you're here i like saw watching. the canoodling yes how long have you guys been together for we've been together for over 15 years and, and we have still- a 13 year old child too yeah. Really? And uh, yeah. and you're saying genuinely it's been good the whole Genu- time? Well, not good the whole time. Like we definitely like before the blueprints and after our son was born, we went through a period where I was like, okay, I just went from sex goddess of the world yeah. to freaked out mom. And so even you, Jaya. With all the tools that I knew, except for that I didn't have the blueprints yet. Like I had all the sex techniques in the world. Like yes. I knew all the good blowjob techniques. All the, I mean, I wrote the books on them, right? <laughs> I like, know I, you did. She did write the book. I know. It's so true. I know. And then nothing, that, like, that wasn't working. I couldn't get his interest. I'm like trying strip tease, like, no, right? Like trying to get him to do all these things. And not into it. Well, the problem was that I was initiating in my blueprint. 
and I didn't yet, ha- I didn't, hadn't figured this out yet. And I love how when we have our own adversity, yeah. we problem solve and we, we figure out, That's the best out, way to right? problem like, solve, right? When you have that pr- problem yourself, right? you're much more, uh, like you're much more interested and aggr- driven to find the right? answer for it. Yeah. So here I am a sexologist with all the techniques, but none of the techniques worked. So what was I doing wrong? And it was because I was approaching it from the sexual blueprint. I, I would like touch his genitals and yeah. be all like, let's have sex. And he not uh, into it, not into it. And then we think also gender wise, like what guy wouldn't be into that? Cause we have a stereotype that all men are sexual, Yeah, which is we've debunked that through all the people who've taken the erotic blueprint quiz is what we've found is that most men aren't all sexual. They have a wide range throughout all the blueprints. And so really? it's really lovely. I to, thought my, all men were like really into, I mean, no, not into this. So he didn't, he kept saying to me like, you're being too obvious. You're being too direct. And then he'd come to bed and cuddle with me and I'd be like, oh God, he's cuddling. Like I'm rolling my eyes like, oh God, he's cuddling again, you know? Like, right. Like he just wants to cuddle and go to sleep. And I didn't recognize that his cuddling was him initiating. And he didn't like the way I was initiating because I was I was too obvious yeah. in the way that I was doing it. Or too and, masculine, I would say, would be the word that we normally would think that would be, right? Right, right. Okay. Um, and so when we took my own quiz, you know, later, yeah. it was interesting because I was zero uh, kinky, which is his number one. And I was like 5% sensual, which is his number two. He was zero sexual, which is my number one. And um, like 5% energetic, something like that. Really? At the beginning, you know, when we first figured all this out. And so we were complete opposites. Totally opposite. So it looks like a mismatch, right? It looks like, oh, that's why. And it makes sense. Like, that's why I'm initiating in my language. I'm speaking American English. He speaks French. He doesn't understand what I'm doing. But and I didn't the, understand him. But before you had the, the, the child, you said your sex was like really good. Oh, it was great. So then, but you see, that would mean to me that it was a total match. Mm-hmm. Did it, can it change over time? Well, the, we had our son, uh, we, I was pregnant nine months in. So we hadn't gone oh, through wow. the limerence yeah. phase yeah. yet. So when we're in the limerence phase, you kind of naturally gravitate toward wanting to have a lot of sex. And so you, you start right. to then, after that limerence phase, fall into your natural blueprints. That makes more sense yeah. to me. Thanks for listening to the Habits and Hustle podcast made possible by your friends at Truniagen. So I've been a huge fan of Truniagen for years, and that's why I am so excited to be partnered with them. I literally don't miss a day taking it and think if you're going to take any supplement, this is the one. And here's why, with of course an added science lesson for you. Our bodies produce a molecule called NAD, which supports energy production that starts in your cells. But the levels sadly decline up to 50% between the ages of 40 and 60. A nutrient that can help increase our NAD is a form of vitamin B3 called nicotinamide riboside, or otherwise known as NR. The most efficient, proven, and safe way to get this is with Truniagen because it is the best NAD precursor. Truniagen helps support our bodies against everyday stressors that can damage our cells like overeating, drinking, and staying up too late. In my opinion, no one is too young to take it. I wish I knew about this in my early 30s. It would have been a game changer. What's most amazing is that Truniagen is backed by over 200 published scientific studies and is researched by the world's top scientific institutions. So go check it out at truniagen.com. That's T-R-U. 
N-I-A-G-E-N. And we have a special offer for new customers to receive 20% off all orders of $100 or more using the code HUSTLE20 until December 31st, 2022. So definitely run, don't walk, just scoop some up today. Okay, what's the, la- what's the fifth one then you said? So the- then the last one is the shapeshifter. And the shapeshifter is someone who is all of the erotic blueprints and shapeshifts among them. They're the most erotically sophisticated and intelligent of all of the blueprints. And they're oftentimes the best lovers because they're shapeshift. They can shapeshift and speak. It's like somebody who's multilingual, you know. How do can- you become a shapeshifter? Or how- who-, who are shapeshifters? So I have a theory about this. Okay. Um, just- I want one of those. <laughs> <laughs> just in working with people is that, I think deep down we're all shapeshifters, but we have been conditioned and programmed and through our traumas and hurts throughout life, we start to peel away parts of ourselves and we Mm. start to compartmentalize. So your blueprint actually shows you where you're limited and the shapeshifter when fully developed and fully blossomed they, you know, they are our ideal in some ways. Not that I want people to start thinking something's wrong or bad or broken in them. Like that's not the message here. It's just that our wholeness actually, and I think our natural state actually is the shapeshifter that we're all of it. And then we've just said, no, that part's not okay. And we put that part away. Interesting. My gosh. And so where do you find them? I want to, yeah. So we have, we have noticed that everybody who's gone through our journey and our program ends up becoming a shapeshifter by the end because they do this work they of the healing work. and like all of that. So come join our community and I, I, I was going to say, I, I mean, I wanted, that's where I'll find them. How did you come up with this program? Like, did someone help you? Did you like just, how did it even come to be? So I was in my office one day and I, I had a number of influences. So Jack Morin, who wrote a book called The Erotic Mind, was an influence. And he talked about something called your core erotic theme. And it was all based on your peak erotic experiences. So you take like your top erotic experience and, and go, well, that's your theme. Instead of looking at dysfunction, right. looking at, well, what was positive? Right, right, and, right, right. And so I started thinking about that. And I thought, I love like personality typing test, you know, like I'm super into the Enneagram and like Myers-Briggs and just, and I thought nobody's done this for sexuality. And so I just started paying attention. Like, well, what, what's happening? How are my clients wired and what is it that turns them on? And I'll never forget. I was in my office one day here in Los Angeles and I was hovering my hands, like showing this couple, he, he had erectile dysfunction and they weren't connecting sexually. And I was just showing her like how to not touch like energetically. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he opened his eyes and he looked at his body started shaking and he looked at me and he was like, what is happening? And then he got this erection and she's looking at me and I said, you're wired energetically. And that was like my first, like, Oh, okay. This actually is a thing. And then it took me about five years working just clinically with my clients of like really honing kink was the last one, of course, because I was zero kink. So it was the last one that I saw and my own partner's kink. Yeah. It's so funny. That is kind of, it's Uh, always that way. It's Murphy's (laughs) law. Right. We're six and a half years into our relationship and I finally figure out all I need to do is lay some ropes on the bed. And he (laughs) totally wants to have sex with me, right? Exactly, right? Who knew? Who knew? (laughs) And so, um, 
Yeah, it was just so fascinating to watch then the whole thing unfold. And then when I started speaking about it, people coming up and just be like, oh my gosh, this makes so sense for like all my past relationships or the relationship that I'm in and watching all those ahas as people recognize themselves. And then also people saying like, thank you because I felt like I was broken, like energetics, especially feeling so misunderstood. Like right. nobody understood stands that like going after my clitoris and pounding on it and rubbing on totally. it isn't the thing that's gonna get me there, I'm actually just dissociating out of my body because it's too much, too quick, too fast. Well, that's why I first started this whole podcast by saying like, isn't it mostly in your head? Maybe it's not for everybody like that. Maybe it's only for some people. Mm -hmm. I always assume is every lot of girls were just like that. And right. maybe it's not true, right. right? We have seen from the quiz, and I think we've had over a million people take the quiz now. That That's a lot. Two, over two million, says my two lover. Two million? What do you do, by the way? Do you- Oh, you run the, what's the company called? The Blueprint Company? Or the, uh, the Giant The company? Blueprint Breakthrough. Is that what it is? <laughs> yes. And you run the company? So how long has this company been around for? He's my CF, a CPO, my chief pleasure officer. I love that. Oh my God, that's such a good name. <laughs> I love that name. Yeah, we've, I've been doing this for a few decades, but we've actually had the company, I think we launched around 2011 was when we launched it. That's a it. long time. Yeah. How come I'm just saying, I guess it's funny, the show just kind of brought you much more to the general masses, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because how, how would you, how do you know unless you know? Like, right. And we, because we don't have this conversation, you know, it's not on the mainstream. It's just, it's hard for us. Like we can't advertise, we can't like right. even sending emails and stuff. We get kind of lumped into like porn or we get lumped into like a lot of other yeah. stuff where even just us being able to educate, like, I can't tell you how many times I've been kicked off of like YouTube or social media when it's just me, innocent me, you know, sitting there, innocent me. Yeah, innocent, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> just talking about these things, you know. Oh, I guess that's true. Am I going to get banned by putting those words on my, am I going to, they probably will. They'll probably like shadow ban me, right? Maybe. I don't know. For saying those words. It really depends on if they're on to you. I mean, I mean, they might be after between you and Dave Asprey, I'm going to be totally bad, like thrown <laughs> off of Instagram. I well, think. as Dave says, then you're just dangerous. Then yeah. you just know that you're dangerous. Yeah. And that's, that's not bad. That's not a bad thing. It I mean, isn't. But they're throwing what they're throwing off. Like they're throwing a lot of people off right now. I do not, I, you probably don't notice. It's, it's so but. interesting. You know, this is censorship of education. Yeah. And, and that we need this education. I mean, imagine having had this education when you were in school. Right. And I would love to see these curriculums in high schools. And we've gotten some of this in some really progressive high schools right. where they're talking about blueprints and helping people understand who they are and how to communicate and having consent conversations. Yeah. And it lowers abuse. It lowers. 100%. You know, in countries who have more sex positivity, we see less crime. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that would be the case. I mean, wait, so I was going to say something about personality. You're saying something about personality types. Have you, did you see any kind of correlations between personality types? Like alpha males tend to be this blueprint. Alpha females tend to be that. Like, is there any? We haven't done any research on it okay. yet. I would love to see it. I love stacking these yeah, things. Yeah, I think it's they're so... Just, I, it's like a fascinating st Ian calls them stack hacks. Yeah. You know, like you can kind of hack yourself by knowing yourself 100%. so deeply by going, okay, here's who I am on the Enneagram. How does that tie into my erotic blueprint? Here's, um, you know, I'm really high testosterone alpha, you know, yeah. like super, does that tie into my sex 
or do I mask myself as a sexual because that's what I'm supposed to be? Right. You know, so. I think that happens a lot because a lot of alpha males are low testosterone actually. Right. And that's why they're compensating a lot of times. That's just my psychological like 10 cent, you know, <laughs> you know, thing. But yeah, I mean, that would be such an amazing study. Like how does biochemistry play a role? If you have higher testosterone, are you more likely to be sexual? Um, I am a high testosterone vulva bodied human. Right. So, um, that does that play a role in me being such a sexual human? Yeah. How does all of this like nature, nurture, bio, like it's so fascinating to me. It is fascinating. But you, you don't have any like research or stats on I that? I don't. And I would love to see somebody do that research. It'd be amazing. I, I, yeah, me too. I mean, so we'd have to put that on our questionnaire next. What is your testosterone? Level? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have, we have like gender, we have relationship style, like those kinds and of things. And personality style. Like if you're I mean, I just think all of it's super fascinating. So what do you do when you see stuff? Like, what's the first thing that you look at? Or how do you make people who lost their, you know, thing with each other, the mm -hmm. sexual, how do, how do you bring them back together? The first thing we look at is the blueprint. So right? we create a map. Uh, it really is about knowing yourself and where you're at right now. Right. Just like people, you know, here at the biohacking conference are talking about like, what's your bio, gut biome and what's your DNA yeah, same and what's like, it's the same thing with sexuality. We, we want to look at that whole picture. And so I'm looking at, well, what's your erotic blueprint? What's your sexual history? I look at four main things when I'm doing an intake, which is the, the blueprint, of course, is the foundation, but then it's what's the biochemistry. So yeah. what's the testosterone levels and what is the estrogen doing? So you doing? do look at that stuff. I'm looking at all of that as well. Um, I'm looking at physical traumas. So did you yeah. childbirth? I mean, that's a big one to women's pelvic floor and how that affects libido. And so we've got all of that that we're looking at. Scar really? tissue. Yeah. That affects libido? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you're in pain, are you going to want to have sex? Oh, you mean like that? But okay, also, so, yeah. bioenergetically, that's another thing I'm looking at. The third thing, bioenergetics, right. is if you have scar tissue, let's say you had a C-section, it's through the midline. There is a vessel that goes, an energetic vessel that goes through, that if that is cut off, now you've cut off drive. Oh, that's so interesting. So just in an, from an energetic level, you have energetically a block there when you have scar tissue. And if you haven't had that and it was regular. If you've had a vaginal yeah. birth, you may not have that same thing. Right. Um, but there could be also adhesions or scar tissue you don't necessarily know about that aren't visible. Like maybe you didn't have an episiotomy or a tear, but um, maybe there's an adhesion that's grown somewhere inside the uterus or the cervix. You know, I, I'll like circumnavigate the, I'm doing my nose for yeah. people who can't see, circumnavigate around the cervix to make sure there's no adhesions to the vaginal wall because if that's there then the cervix can't get out of the way during sex you don't have uterine flight because it's adhered into the vaginal wall this is and what's the other one that you were gonna say you <laughs> and, said the fourth and then the last one yeah. is, is the emotional okay. so what's happening emotionally so is there trauma in your history around sexuality most of us yeah. do not escape life without some kind of trauma anything from a bad vaginal exam or prostate exam to you know, being catcalled, these things then create armor on our bodies. And interesting, you yeah. know, and then there's deeper sexual traumas that people experience in their lives. And then how do we unravel that out of the body, not just from the psyche, but so that the body tissue also isn't stuck in whatever that trauma was. Now, is there ever a situation where people just aren't attracted to each other? And like, there's nothing, there's like no therapy, no coaching can ever help. 
There can be. I think that that place is when people are in a place of unwillingness. Mm, um, okay. That's the number one bus. Like once we've got one person who's just like, I'm unwilling, I'm resistant, I'm not going to change. Yeah. This is this is how it is. That's challenging. And then you have to make a different choice. You know, you could do conscious uncoupling or you could talk about opening your relationship at that point or, you know, maybe transforming that relationship. Con, you know, that in, in a way that's helpful so that everybody gets their needs met. How did you become this? Like, how does, like, what's your, what was the, like, evolution of you? Like, how did you be, like, people don't just become a, a somatic sexologist. Like, what were you doing before? Were you a, like, what were you doing? So this has been my whole life. I've dedicated, literally dedicated my whole life to this. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Dr. Ruth when I grew up. Like that really? was like, I aspired. I wanted to be Dr. Ruth. So I, somehow I must have seen her on something when I was really yeah. young. And I, I wanted to help people with relationships, sexuality, love. You know, I, I was always just like a lover. And yeah. so I became very, I would go to the library, I would sneak to the library. I lived in this little small town and I would get all the books on sex and romance novels and read them <laughs> because really? I wanted to know all the information that I could find. Like this was like eighth grade or something like that. Wow. I wanted to know everything. So I was either gonna be a singer or I was going to be Dr. Ruth, one of the two. And it kind of, it, it obviously became Dr. Ruth. <laughs> and then like, what was the first, what was your first job or your first thing that you did to kind of get you to this? Like what, before you were this, mm -hmm. what were you doing? So I have all kinds of really fun stories. So when I, the moment I turned 18, I wanted to become an exotic dancer because I wanted to go into the field to learn like the underground of sexuality. Like I was wow. fascinated with the whole thing. Like, what is this world like? And let me go. Like right. the moment I turned 18, I started dancing. You were an exotic dancer. I was an exotic dancer. So I would like go to school, like study. I was a singer at church. Like no, does anyone know this dance. about you? Yeah. yeah. So it's, wow. I have a lot of fun stories. So I was doing that. That's so interesting. Were you always super sexual? Yeah. Okay. I was a very, from a very early age, just again, like curious. Yeah. I wanted to know it's, it's amazing that I made it as far as I did in terms of being as sexually free as I was, because I had so much trauma, but also so much like religious upbringing of escaping, like the, the method, the messages of Catholicism. You yeah. Know? And yeah. Oh, that's how you grew up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I had the little school uniform and everything, but I used to kind of roll mine up, you know, above the knees, but the nuns didn't wow. like that. Wow. Yeah. So, you, so know, you were always kind of just like pushing the envelope a little I bit. I like, it's pushing the edge. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> you, you, and you also had a lot of trauma. But, I, but I was such a rule follower and everything else. It was just like, but in this thing of sexuality, I just felt like something's not right. Like this is, this brings me closer to God. Like that was like when I was young, I would be like, God and sex go together. Like it, for me, it was almost like a spiritual practice. R really? Yeah. So would you, were you very sexual? Did you have a lot of partners when you were young and all the No, other and this is the other thing is that I was, while I was a very like sexually expressed person, I was also very conservative. Really? And so like I didn't, I... Didn't, I still to this day have not had many sexual partners. I love to pair bond and have a lot of sex with the person that I'm pair bonded with and, and also have a lot of freedom within that pair bond. So intercourse wise, you yeah. know, it, it, I'm more interested in 
what are all the other fun things that we can do? And what are the other fun things that we can play with? Because I had, I used to make a rule that if I had sex with more than 10 pe- person, that I was a really big slut. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> By the so way, like, that was always the thing that we heard too. So you had less, <laughs> have you had less than 10 partners? I went over 10 a few years ago and I was like, oh my gosh, I went to 11. I'm a big slut. Now it must, now I have to move my number to 20. Okay, wait, so hold on. So wait, now of course that you have, okay, you're, you're telling me to wrap up right now. I'm not wrapping. <laughs> This up. I have one more question. So you are married. You're staying a few years. So you've been married for 15 uh, years. We've been together for 15 oh, years. Oh, you've never got married. Yeah. Okay. So you've been together for 15 years. Does that mean you have multiple sex partners? Because if you said that you just passed the 11, uh-huh. that means you guys are, are you guys able to have, are you guys more of a swinging couple? Is we, that what they? We have an open relationship and I have long-term relationships that I've been with for many years. So I have two 20-year relationships he and I have been together for 15 years, and then I have one four-year relationship. Okay. I know. Your brain is like, how am I supposed to be doing a podcast for 20 minutes about this? Are you joking me? This is, like, more interesting than... So, wait, wait. So, this is only one of your partners? This is one. He's my anchor partner, my nesting partner. We live life together. Or we say we li- we're lifetime lovers. Okay, wait. What is this We're lovers mean? for this lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, that's it. So the 15 year partner is your anchor partner, which yeah. means that you guys, that's the one that you we live, live with. together. We have our son together. We have a business together. We live life. You we, live life we together. We live life together. But then you also have two other t- partners that you've had for 20 years each. Yes. But they're like, you see them only once in a I while. I see them once in a while. And then one um, helps us raise our son. Like so a nanny? He's with our son right now. Like, like yeah, a nanny. Yeah, yeah. It makes life so beautiful because it takes a lot to raise a child. Yes. And, you know, Even it's two. beautiful to have a village. You know, we get to have yes. more influence, more adults. There's so much love. We have a high level of emotional maturity and consciousness around the whole thing. And that's why we I have long-term relationships. So who's the four-year guy? He's new. Well, apparently. <laughs> what's, what's his whole situation? Um, he's also open. He's very open. And so it works because he's just, you know. Wait, wait, wait. He's do, been in this lifestyle for a long time. When, have, okay, but do all of those <laughs> other partners have other partners too? Yes. And so. There, we have total freedom. So Ian, the 15-year partner, <laughs> how many parents, other partners really. do you have? Two additional Two additional, and how long have you been with each of those? Um, about three or four years. Each? Mm-hmm. Now, what happens? You play favors. Do you like? Does one like feel like you feel more like? What happens if you, you with your anchor partner that you have like? Do you ever like feel like you like or want to be more with the twenty-year partner or the four-year because he's new and exciting? That can jealousy, happen. But does under- jealousy happen? It it can, but we're all. I mean, so here's the key. And I was, I was telling someone this last night here at the conference. They were asking us about this. And I said, you know, I think the thing that makes it all work so well is that I love myself and my partners love themselves. And so we aren't seeking to get love outside of ourselves. I have unconditional love for me. And that creates a foundation where there isn't a lot of insecurity within how we're all relating to each other. And so we just have a, a beautiful foundation of unconditional love, but it starts first with ourselves. And once you have that, your relationships become very easy 
And, and I also have low tolerance for anything that is not ease filled. Right. You know, if people don't lift, if people like our new lover, if he doesn't lift Ian and I up, if he were like, oh, that Ian, he's like, know, why are you doing that guy? Yeah. Out. Like it just wouldn't, it's not even a conversation. So that energy is not even in the relationships It's not at even all. in the relationships. And so. Not that jealousy within open relationships doesn't happen. It happens. I um, mean, it has happened in our past. It's just that we've done a lot of growth. It's a, it's a fast track to a lot of growth. I mean, I can, I mean, I can't even imagine, but I can't imagine. I can't imagine, but like, how is it that like, does it happen where then if he's an anchor, can you want to switch anchors or can you leave the anchor? Like how is it all because you love yourself unconditionally and genuinely that that doesn't even like, yeah, I don't think it would come up for us. We're just so solid. I would never, I can't even imagine, like, I can't even imagine that reality, yeah. right? How often do you see the other people, though? Like, what's how often would you say? Once sit? a week, once a month for some of them, every day for another one, you know. Do they all have anchors, too? No. Uh, yes, one of them does. One of them does? Yeah. But you said you see, wait, you said you see one every day. <laughs> how do you expect me how to do a podcast in 20 minutes with this? Okay, just finish that part and this I... This always happens. I mean, no one warned me about this. I'm sorry. This is unbelievable. Just, how do you see one every day? Because we just have integrated lives. So I talked about the one who's the with nanny, our son. Yeah. So he's just around every day. Oh, so can yeah. you, do you have sex with him? And then would you have sex we with him? We have more of a romantic, energetic partnership at this point in our relationship. Because look at the blueprint. So we can have blueprinted. Yeah. Not everybody has to be like, we have sex, but we are lovers because we have sex maybe that's not intercourse. Does that make sense? Kind of. <laughs> can, okay, again, I'm going to say, could you part two? I mean, this is just so fascinating. I don't even know how to end this podcast. But um, what's this called? It's called, okay, can we do a part two on just open marriages and open relationships? Because I feel like this is like, you just opened up a whole Pandora's box of questions for me, but um, this is what I do. We just like open up boxes, you oh, know, because there's so many worlds within this realm of sexuality, just with gender, relationship, style, what our preferences are, you know, who we are. It's deep. It's a deep, exactly. And rich world. Like, you can't. It says, this doesn't. This isn't like you can't just fix. Like, you can't just have one podcast episode with this because there's such vast amounts of information and knowledge. And I think what I find interesting is like you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah, so absolutely. I'm not even. I don't even know what half these. Like, I know the surface level of like what's an open relationship, but then like there's so many layers and layers and layers. And look at you. You're clearly very happy. Like you can see it on your face, honestly. Like you can see how like this is not just like a facade. Right. He looks very happy and content over there. <laughs> and yet there's like all these other people involved as well. Like you're doing something right. <laughs> you know, like do you talk about this a lot? Like is this something like maybe you should write a book on this? Uh, maybe. I used to talk about it a lot. I don't talk about it as much because... I really wanted to get this message around sexuality out into the world, you yeah. know, because we can get kind of lost in talking about the relationships and all of that. But, you know, I felt like the erotic blueprints were really important. So I've been talking about those a lot. Okay. So where do people find more information on this, on you? Uh, <laughs> and and then we'll do, we're going to do this again. Eroticbreakthrough.com. So it's eroticbreakthrough.com and jaya.love. And my name is spelled J-A-I-Y-A. Dot love. 
my God, this is so fascinating. I'm so happy that I've met you and that <laughs> we're starting this like whole conversation. It's so fun. Thank you for having the conversation. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having the conversation. This is amazing. And I guess we'll do part two when we're not rushed like this, but thank you. Habits and hustle, time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind, don't stop, keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out, hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries, tune in, you can get to know them. Be inspired, this is your moment. Excuses, we ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle Podcast, powered by Habitnest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.